This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on compliance professionals adapting to change, industries, regulations, and beyond, where we will look down the road at key issues in 2024 and beyond for the compliance professional. In this series, I will visit with Nicholas Latham, Renee Murphy, Jessica Chachuga, Lee Chow, and Alexander Kosha. Over this series, we will consider compliant communications in regulated industries, managing conflicts of interest at the board level, the board of directors role in compliance training and communications, navigating the current ESG landscape, and professional growth and mentorship in compliance. This series is informative, enjoyable, and I know you'll get a lot out of it. First, a word about diligence. Diligence empowers leaders with a holistic view of their organization's governance, risk, compliance, audit, and ESG practices so they can make better decisions faster, no matter the challenge. Ready for purpose-driven compliance? Diligence equips leaders with the tools they need to build, monitor, and maintain a culture of open, transparent ethics and compliance. For more information or to book a demo, visit diligent.com. Today we look at conflicts of interest at the board of directors level with diligence evangelist Renee Murphy. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode in our five-part series. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to have with me Renee Murphy. First of all, Renee, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, Tom, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Whenever you can get two evangelists together, uh, (laughs) it's going to fly. So (laughs) with that, Renee, you have a unique background in compliance and governance and risk. I was wondering if you'd share with the audience a little bit about your professional background. Yeah, so if we go back far enough, and I used to say this all the time at the prior job, I was formerly a network engineer, VP of data center operations. I was both an internal and external auditor. Um, And for the last 10 and a half years, I've been the lead analyst at Forrester Research covering governance, risk, and compliance and the GRC platform market, along with some sustainability um, frameworks and climate risk analytics. So um, yeah, I've spent the last 10 years um, talking to the Fortune 500 about how we do risk, how we mitigate things, and how we move forward into the brave new world of technology. Because you know, nothing like technology and compliance because we haven't had it yet, Tom. We haven't. I can't wait. So what's your current role, Renee? I'm currently chief evangelist of Diligent Software. Um, It's my job to evangelize risk management um, and it's my job to evangelize Diligent. Um, It's a wonderful company with a lot of really like really good software. I say all the time, it's purpose built, but it's platformed. Um, so we've got really deep knowledge. We, you know, we're a mile wide and 30 feet deep. And so, you know, I'm really excited to be there after 10 years at Forrester, you know, you can pretty much go anywhere, right? Sure. You can go anywhere. Um, and it was clear to me where I was going to go. I was going to, I was going to go to diligent. Um, and so I couldn't be happier to be here. Renee, I want, one of the reasons I'm so excited to visit with you is we're going to take up a topic that we have not really fleshed out at all over this past year of doing podcasts with diligence, which are conflicts of interest at the board level. 
I was wondering if we might be able to start with you detailing what some of those are. Yeah. So when you think about conflicts at the board level, you would say, you know, I have two board members who are, um, you know, in different companies or a single board member who is on more than one board. I mean, there's one woman I met who told me she was on 32 boards. It's a lot to keep it straight. Right. And I thought, well, wait a minute, don't you conflict out on any of that? Because maybe you have, you know, a financial interest in a, you know, in a nonprofit that would compete against something that is a for-profit company where you're sitting on the board of somewhere else. Like, don't, huh? Like how, how maybe you're sitting on the board here and you're dealing with another company down here and there's you know there's actually a relationship there where money's being transferred you can't what like you really can't you can't even have it can't even look like that stuff's going on because once it looks like it's going on it becomes a question of self-dealing for the whole company right like, do you have board members who are self-dealing i'm giving myself the the you know the profit proceeds of the company you know because I want them. I mean, there's a, a hospital in Brooklyn whose CEO over the course of just three years, th his his um, salary tripled and they realized that, oh my gosh, all the money was going toward all the companies that the trustees owned. It was so crooked at the end that the, the hospital is like, we don't know if we're going to be able to stay open because these people siphoned all the money out through all this self-dealing at the board level, right? So that stuff goes on and you really do have to ferret it out and you ferret it out with, I don't know, is something is and I'm an evangelist of governance, risk, and compliance. And I know compliance seems like it's no fun, but honestly, it really is a good time when you figure out that's what's going on. You're going to stop it and you're going to try to get back as much money that you can because you're the auditor and you save the day. Like at the end of the day, like that three lines of defense that really matters, Tom. And even when we're talking at the board level, that stuff can go awry really, really fast. I mean, what if you had a CEO who had uh, more than one company and really can't figure out how to divide his time between any of them, right? Um, that's a real conflict of interest and it should be for the shareholders of Tesla. You wonder how Elon has time to spend doing space stuff, you know, car stuff, solar stuff, and Twitter stuff. You have to wonder how does that how does that work? And so, you know, there is a, a conflict of interest even there to say you're not really being a fair CEO if you can't spend fair time with all the companies. And so what does that mean to a shareholder? Well, luckily for Mr. Musk, nothing um, if you're a Tesla shareholder, right? <laughs> so what about some of the other conflicts of interest beyond sitting on uh, multiple boards? Um, you could have a, you know, self-dealing, like I said, you could be, you know, saying that we have all kinds of, inf like, you know, stuff coming into the board, requests for work, um, how we're going to fund things, where money's going to go. And you could be dealing that to just your own, you know, friends and family members. There was a, um, the city of Richmond, Virginia, um, they had a guy working at the um, DWP. Department of Water and Power, right? So he's working there and um, he's writing the checks for all of the invoices that are coming in. Well, the invoices are coming in and no one's really paying attention to them. They're just kind of paying them until some auditor looks at it and say, hey, how did we mow this patch of lawn? 
16 times in four days. Like, why would we ever do that? And they're like, we wouldn't. What are you talking about? He's like, we were invoiced to this, to some company called this. And they realized it's just a bunch of LLCs that are owned by his wife. So really what he's doing is just billing the, the Department of Water and Power, taking the money out of it, sticking it in his wife's account, paying taxes on it, and bam, they're off to the races to the tune of $602,000. The city has to wipe away almost a quarter million dollars of that. So let's, I in my mind, like, that is unbelievable. And it was just too easy to pull off. Um, and then, you know, insider trading is something everybody worries about, right? It's another way to think about how the, you know, somebody on the board knows something and um, they would use that to trade. And I know it, people think it hardly ever happens, but come on now, Martha Stewart, Tom, Martha Stewart went to jail for that, right? So insider trading is real. The other thing is CISOs have gone to jail for that, um, or, or at least have been, you know, accused of that to say that um, they knew that the breach, you know, um, disclosure was coming. And so they sold their stock before it was, you know, before it was announced. And so thinking that they saved their stock portfolio, but what they didn't, well, they were insider trading because they were making that trade on knowledge that they had that the market didn't have. But the other thing clearly that they didn't understand was it didn't matter. The stock would come back and it would probably be worth more. It's this weird thing that happens with security breaches. I don't know, been tracking it for 10 years. You always end up on the upside. So you just hang on to your stock, wait for that breach notification and bam, you're going to make more money in the long run. Um, and he just didn't even know that, right? So when I think about like that kind of stuff and then vendor relationships, right? I cannot, as a board member, I can't steer any work toward the people that I know or the people that I like. Um, I can't do any of that. I, you really have to put up a wall between, you know, what you're doing and how you do it. And here's what I'm going to say about that. If you had software that could help you facilitate that, right? Keep things secure, keep things divided, make sure everybody understands what they're doing there and why they're there to do it, right? Um, and you have that in that board management software where everybody stays updated, everybody knows what's going on, they have a direct contact to the CEO, the CEO is telling them what they need to hear, and there's risk management driving all of that as an engine behind it, right? Um, and audit is keeping us all, you know, you know, honest. They're just keeping us honest, right? Because that's what they're there. I don't want to say they're there to enforce my compliance. They're there to keep me honest. I mean to do it the way they want me to do it. So they're just there to keep me honest. Um, and when you look at that and how all that works, you say, well, with all of that is governance, risk, and compliance, right? With all of that, and it starts with board management, we wouldn't run into these problems, we really wouldn't. And just open AI all by itself. I mean, the way it was structured, that was a conflict. Like from the very beginning, there was no way that was going to work. There was a 501c3 who promised to do no harm. And then an LLC who was like, let's go do some harm. So what, what of course, there was going to be a horrible conflict there, right? It was built into the way the structure worked. So when you think, like, I go back to thinking like, Man, if you if you just if you just work the way everything is supposed to work, if you look at it the way governance, risk, and compliance is supposed to come together, board management is at the top of that, right? And it is enabled through software just like anything else. And so I just want everyone, you like that's diligent, right? That's who we are. We're board management. Um, and that's not all we are, 
right? We're the capital G. I, somebody said this to me, you're the giant capital G in governance. And I said, yes, I am. Because the G in governance used to mean policy management. I submit, no, it actually means board management because what is this all about in the end? Communicating to the board um, our current risk posture so that they can make good decisions. And the faster we can do that, the better off they're going to be. Renee, what's the role of either a compliance or risk management official in either educating the board on potential conflicts or helping to manage the board in conjunction with a governance software? So, the way I've always seen the board from inside the organization, when I would talk to chief information security officers and folks like that, they would say, you know, who are my third parties other than my vendors, which is a fair ask, like, who should I throw in this bucket? And every single time I threw in the board, every time I'm like, the board is a third party to me inside the organization. They're an external third party. They owe, I, you know, they owe me the same precautions anybody else ever took with security and probably more. Um, and I know that's a burden on the CISO, but that's the way it's going to go. Right. So when I look at the, like, if, when I look at that and I say, okay, well, um, that's how we enable that, that stuff through software. We able, we enable security. We can treat them like third parties, like they truly are. We can curate the information they see. But as a compliance person, what's my obligation? My obligation is to make sure that the board understands, um, especially from a compliance perspective, if we have any legal or regulatory risk, right? Because if we're failing all this compliance stuff at the board level, if, if people are having more than one, if they're sitting on pharma, um, on a, you know, on a pharma board, but they're also sitting on, you know, some nonprofit that, that, you know, lobbies pharma, like that's a really weird thing. There should be no, it shouldn't even, it shouldn't even look weird. There should be no inkling that anything's going on. You, you have to leave one of those boards. Um, that's vetting a third party. That's third. And seriously, and I mean this, like, I understand they're, they're the board, but you're vetting a third party. And part of vetting that third parties is understanding um, what their conflicts would be. You know, and I'm just going to put it, shout out the law firms who are incredibly brilliant at managing conflicts. It's their whole game. There's whole matter management systems that help them with that. Um, and, but, you know, unless you have a board with 50,000 people on it, I don't see the point. Um, but yeah, shout out the law firms, um, Tom. They're really, really good at that, you know, managing conflicts really good at it. Renee, if you were going to counsel a board, what are maybe one or two of the top three, two or two, a couple of things you would tell a board to be cognizant of right now as we move into the end of 2023 and 2024? You mentioned OpenAI, but are there other areas that a board needs? And you obviously mentioned uh, CISO and potential data protection, data privacy, or any others at top of mind or your mind right now, or is it the traditional risk management areas that you've talked about literally for years? No, you know, for me, it's ESG. So in my mind, um, we're all going to be forced to disclose in ESG, right? And so I would tell a board, you need to pick a framework and you need to start disclosing. Um, if you're disclosing for the purposes of um, your shareholders or the bank, TCFD is your framework. <laughs> if you're doing it for customers, um, GRI is your framework. Um, 
CDP might be a place why you might want to disclose that so you don't have to worry about it over and over again. But I mean, that's for me, that's the story for the board. ESG isn't going to be mandated by the SEC. I mean, it will eventually one day, but it's not going to be anytime soon. So as long as it's not anytime soon, it doesn't matter. Your bank's going to want that. Your customers are going to ask for that. Your third parties are going to ask for that. So you're going to have no choice but to disclose somewhere. And so I would tell the board, you know, no better time than the present. Let's quit treating it like it's Y2K. Um, I'm pretty old, Tom. Let's not treat it like it's Y2K and we're going to do this once and it's going to be over, right? Um, this is more like Sarbanes-Oxley. We're going to do this forever, you guys. Like, let's just start now. Let's figure out what that means to the organization. I'm not asking you to declare net zero tomorrow. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm asking you to disclose your carbon so we at least have a baseline. Um, anyone can do that. And I really hope people start thinking about that because it's not going to be regulation that's going to drive this. It's going to be tons of outside forces. So I would tell a board, get ahead of it, start disclosing um, and write just write one of those risks just off. Like, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, sustainability risk today because, you know, we disclose, we're tracking it, we know our carbon usage, um, and we're going to work at, you know, driving that down between now and 2050 or something, right? I mean, that's something the board needs to start to decide, or they're not going to be able to get money from banks. I'm just going to put it out there. Like if you, if you think it's your customers and you're going to be like, no, I can put them off. They'll be fine. Like my customers don't care. Like that might be true, but your bank cares. Your bank really cares. Your bank needs to know that like you're going to be there to make your payments. Right. And you're not going to get any running capital at all if you don't actually disclose this stuff. And that's why I said TCFD will be your friend because TCFD is the one that they're going to look for to say, you tell us what your carbon is and how you're driving that down because sustainability is an issue for your longevity. Um, banks aren't dumb. They're, they're managing long-term risk. Renee, unfortunately, we're near yeah. the end of our time on this episode, but before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on the topics we've touched on today, what might be the best place for them to go? www.diligent.com. Come see the website. Um, we just relaunched it a few months back. So come see it. It looks unbelievable. Um, and again, um, thanks for having me, Tom. I had a really great time. I hope we can continue this conversation. Thanks. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Professionals Adapting to Change, Industry, Regulations, and Beyond. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode where we take a look at the board of directors role in compliance training and communications. This special five-part series is sponsored by Diligent and we've linked to Diligent's website in the show notes. So for more information, check out their website, www.diligent.com. This special five-part podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.